Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, in Exodus 19, Israel had uh, escaped from Egypt and wandered through the desert. They came to the base of Mount Sinai, it's called elsewhere Mount Horeb. This is the mountain where God would encounter Moses and speak like thunder and give the law and the commandments that would provide Israel a radically new orientation to life. An encounter that would change Israel and then in turn would ultimately change the world. But before that encounter, Moses went up to the mountain for an initial meeting with God. And God said to Moses, when you go back down to the people, you're to tell them this. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is what you're to tell Israel, Moses. And what a dramatic image to be carried on eagle's wings. You might remember that, that uh, scene from Lord of the Rings where Frodo and Bilbo, right, are sitting atop that, Sam, thank you. <laughs> it's in my notes somewhere. Uh, I did check it up this week. But there was that, that piece of lava rock that was sitting outside of the flow of lava and they were destitute and the last minute in swoops the great eagles. Whenever you're carried on eagle's wings, you are at the complete mercy of the grace that's rescuing you. Whenever you're carried on eagle's wings, you aren't sitting there flapping away trying to help out. You're not kicking the air real hard to help. You are simply being rescued. You are in every way at the mercy. Aviva Zornberg points out how this picture of a large, powerful, grand eagle swooping in and snatching up helpless creatures emphasizes the creature's, this is her word, lightness. The image deflates their grandiosity, Aviva says, and evokes a relationship to God where their weightiness becomes insignificant. This is at the heart in most every deep and true encounter with God, our weightiness, our hubris, our ideas, our demands, our expectations, our assumptions, our frozen categories, our airtight rationale, our self-importance, our self-protection, whatever skill or resource or power or cynicism we cling to as our way of coping with our life or making meaning, all of our weightiness compared to mercy, becomes insignificant. And it becomes insignificant because in that mercy, we have encountered the living God and all the stuff that seems to have made up our identity now seems paltry, if not foolish. This is why Moses would take off his shoes in front of the burning bush. This is why Job would be silenced before the Almighty. 
This is why Paul would fall dazzled by God's light on that road to Damascus. Whenever we have these profound encounters with God, all of our expertise and our wisdom and our presumptions seem rather puny. We've been having these uh, prayer evenings on Tuesday night. We'll have two more. And last week, um, Andrew read for us um, from Acts 2 before our prayer. And a word that struck several of us was that word of awe, how awe settled over God's people. I think I'm hungry for some more of that, a sense of the holiness of God, a place where my words seem really insignificant in comparison, a place where my ideas, my knowledge, my expertise, it, it really doesn't seem like it's much to hold. But many of us keep God at a distance because we don't think God can be trusted with the full weight of our life or our future. We think that God is not kind enough, good enough, trustworthy enough. We think that perhaps we really do have to craft our own existence on our own terms, in our own strength, and then add God in there, here and there, like maybe a little salt. It's some kind of spiritual resource to fill in the gaps of our own blueprint of a life. Now, it's, uh, we have to pause here because um, all of us, in one way or another, want our life to have a weightiness to it, to mean something, and we absolutely should. You are an image bearer of God, and God has given you purpose and meaning and gifts. God has given you expertise and power. But what we find over and over again in the scriptures is that we will only find our truest weight we will only find the truest gravity and import of our life as we surrender our demand that we have it. And we allow ourselves to be carried by the mercy. And what was it exactly that brought Israel to this place where they could fall down on the wings of mercy? Well, it was Egypt. It was a long road of suffering in just the preceding day or two, it was Rephidim. Where they came from, Rephidim was a place that was, it seems like an oasis, but when they got there, there was no water. There was supposed to be water there. It was a place that was supposed to revive them, and there was no water. Now, we don't know if the water had dried up for some reason, if there was a drought, or perhaps um, the, the, uh, their enemies were, were guarding them from being able to get to the water. We don't know for sure, but the, the reality is they had no water, and so God told Moses to go and strike the rock with the same... Uh, the same rod that he had struck over the Nile and water poured out. But that was really just the most recent event. Their long history for hundreds of years had been captivity in Egypt. Most of our spiritual teachers, ancient and modern, have told us that there is likely no way to avoid suffering on this path 
to finding our true selves in God. Apparently, the suffering of Egypt is what made Israel wake up to their own true identity. It's what made them willing to release the old ways that weren't true. It's what allowed them to enter in to the next moment that God had for them. We will cling to our false selves, to our false identities, to our shadow strengths, so long as they work for us. When they no longer work, when we've tried all of our best strategies and are exerted our best efforts and nothing, then after we've exhausted ourselves and surrendered the illusion that we're the makers of our existence, then perhaps we can fall into the wings of mercy. Now, this doesn't mean that God is the cause of our suffering. Jesus wept over the suffering of Israel. And I believe that Jesus weeps over the suffering that we encounter. It certainly doesn't mean that evil or great destruction should be called good. That is a heresy. The cross, though it brought us life, was a horror. But the question that is always posed to those who would follow Jesus is, how will we go through suffering? For some of us, our suffering only emboldens our insistence that life must work for us. For some of us, it drives us further from God. For others, our suffering can make our hearts tender. It can make us curious. It can make us more open to the suffering of others. It can make us hopeful. For some of us, our suffering can drive us into mercy. And God told Moses, if you keep my covenant, this unique relationship of love and responsibility, then you'll be my treasured possession. Although the world is mine, God said, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is exactly what God extended to the church in 1 Peter 2, where he calls the church a holy nation, a royal priesthood. The whole world is God's, God says. All people, every creature, beloved by God. But if we want to be God's priests in the world, if we want to bear in our own bodies God's mercy and God's wholeness and God's healing, if we want to live that true vocation, then we have to be faithful to God's particular way in the world. There's just no way around it. If we're going to mediate God's presence and God's love and God's justice and God's mercy and God's goodness and God's kindness and God's righteousness, it requires God. And after the Moses had told the people what God had said, did you notice how the people responded? It's as if their hearts erupted. Yes! Yes! We will do everything the Lord has said. 
We want to be that people. We want to do those words. Whatever God says, we want to do it. We've seen despair and we've been carried by the wings of mercy. Yes, just speak God and we will do it. These are words of life to us. If, if that kind of response feels absolutely foreign to you, I'd like to suggest that you might not have experienced God yet as the kind of God who can be trusted to bear you up in the wings of mercy. And here's the point where pastors like me love to take a really wrong turn and we bear down on what you should feel and how you respond to God. That's absolutely pointless. You feel what you feel. <laughs> the way you naturally respond is the way you naturally respond. I think the call of a preacher who's faithful to the gospel is to try once again to return us to the wings of mercy. If God is the God of deep kindness, if God is the God who gives you your true vocation and your true life, if to follow God is to be born by, by mercy into the fullness of your life, if God can be trusted with your deepest questions, if God can be trusted with your deepest sorrows, if God is large enough and his kindness is overwhelming enough to pour into every crevice of your heart and redeem whatever feels absolutely lost, then that's the God that you can learn to say, yes, whatever you say. Because whatever God says is life to us then. I long to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person who longs for God to speak and then wants to courageously obey. I want you to help me be that kind of person. I long for all souls to be this kind of community. Just speak, God, and we'll do it. I will, I will put aside my competing loyalties. I will put aside my competing ideals. Just speak, God, and I will do it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.